Welcome to RiskWise, a show about money for Muslims, where you'll learn how to make smarter financial decisions without selling your soul. For the full experience, join us at no cost at riskwise.com. Assalamu alaikum, Risk Nation. Thank you for joining us. My name is Ahmed Benor, and I am joined by my co-host, Defender oh God. of Common Sense, Saeed Ali. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us again. I thought that was the one-time thing, man. No, I'm, I'm going to keep going with it until somebody gives me a better title to use for you, until I get like a, a you know convincing suggestion by email. I'm going to go with Defender of Common Sense or until you come up with something better. If you have a better idea, then I'm, I'm all ears. But, you know, Risk Nation stuck. Um, I've got people using hashtag Risk Nation on Facebook and Twitter. So no. That, and it was once the first person did it, I was already convinced of it. That, that's all it took. <laughs> I don't need to see a big movement. Just one person was all I needed uh, for validation. Oh, my God. And same thing here. Defender of Common Sense. If anybody likes it, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> and if nobody complains, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> That's kind of my philosophy on life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it doesn't really take much to convince you, eh? That's awesome. Okay. Well, and on the topic of sticking with it, um, we have really been hammering home the idea of buy and hold. Right. Right? That once you find a good investment, once you find something that creates value, that generates income, and that makes money for you, you just don't sell it. Uh, and you make sure that you don't put yourself in a situation where you might have to sell it by having a short time horizon or having to pull the money out earlier than you should. Yeah. And being on or being undiversified. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about that quite a bit in the last episode to so go back if you missed it. But now I think the question comes up, Saeed, how, how do I really know if my investments are doing well? Yeah. And we talked about in the last episode, we talked about, you know, that markets don't always go up and down for rational reasons and mm-hmm. stock prices don't always go up and down because of the fundamental performance of the company there's other reasons why that happens lots but despite all that if i look at my portfolio as a whole how how do i know if it's doing well or if i'm underperforming yeah that's a really good question and it's something that's very very misunderstood because people tend to make that evaluation is this you know a good investment portfolio or a bad investment portfolio based off of is it going am i losing money or am i making am i making money so essentially what they're doing there is that they are benchmark the thing that they're comparing their portfolio against uh their control if you're uh in the science world is zero so if it's less than zero if the numbers are showing up on their statement and they're negative they're negative numbers their losses then it's bad which is truthfully the argument that most people make for housing, isn't it? That, well, if I don't buy a house, then I'm just going to spend all the money on other stuff and the house will make me, you know, two or three percent. So oh. therefore, it's a good investment. Yeah, because it's more than zero. Yeah. Be- because it's greater than zero, therefore it is good. And that's a very incorrect way to measure performance. Because the world, I mean, is sophisticated. And the financial world, uh, more so than most areas, is even more sophisticated. And the way that we should and need to measure how we're doing in our investment. So basically, if you want to assign a grade, am I get, is my portfolio getting an A, a B, a C, an F? What you know, what's the grade that my portfolio is getting? We have to understand how to actually measure it. And the wrong way to do it is measure it against zero. It's not just about whether it's going up or whether it's going down. So. Let's say, for example, 
if you are, and just to a little bit of a rehash, kind of a little bit what we talked about in the last couple episodes, but let's say you, you are, you've decided that you want to start investing and you're going to invest in publicly traded companies that are traded on the stock market. Um, they're public companies, but they're still businesses and they're making money. So you want to be an investor in those businesses so that you can reap the rewards of their profits as an investor, which is great. Um, so whether you, you make all these, these decisions yourself or you hire a professional, you're going to be buying businesses based on some kind of analysis. So uh, one of the key fundamental analysis perspectives. So if you're going to make this decision, what's a good company, what's a bad company, some of the stuff that you're going to have to discuss is, you know, what's, how much does that company earn? what has the growth rate of that company been? Are they expanding? Are they shrinking? Is their business doing well or not doing well? Uh, what's the current price of that business? If I want to buy it, how much do I have to pay for it? Because that matters. Um, is the business mispriced? It, it, are people thinking that it's actually a worse business than it actually is? And maybe I can find, uh, you know, get ahead of everybody else and buy this thing before everybody else realizes how good it is? That's very, very popular ways of thinking about and analyzing their businesses. So eventually you're going to have to ask yourself, all right, I've made these decisions about what businesses to buy and what businesses to sell. Are those good decisions? Are the stuff that I own, are they actually performing well or not? If your benchmark is zero, then your only evaluation would be, have I made money from them or have I lost money from them? And that's not the way that we should be doing this. The way you should be measuring how your businesses perform is by comparing it to this thing that we called and we call an index. Can I stop you for a minute? Yeah. I'm just going to provide an analogy that I think will help people wrap their heads around what an index is before you even define it. Okay. Let's say you're driving on the highway. Okay. And the speed limit here in Canada is hundred kilometers an hour. Okay. If you're in the U S 60 miles, whatever. Right. Mm. If you go the speed limit, you're probably going with the flow of traffic, right? So the yeah. speed limit in that way is the benchmark. Yes. If you drive the speed limit, you're going with traffic. If you go slower than, than the speed limit, you're falling behind. And if you go faster than the speed limit, you're getting ahead. Okay. So the way that you gauge how fast you're driving is not whether you're moving, because everyone's moving. It's how much slower or faster you're going than the speed limit. Ah, so instead of saying I am traveling 100 kilometers an hour, you could say something like, or you could think about I'm traveling at the speed limit or I'm traveling 10 kilometers over the speed limit or 10 kilometers under the speed limit. Right, because going, you know, in, in our kilometers example, going 60 kilometers an hour when everyone else is going 100 is no accomplishment. <laughs> well, I'm still going somewhere. Yeah, but you could be going 100 and you probably should be going 100. Right, exactly. Okay, that's a good analogy. I like it. So an index is created for one reason. Back in the day, they were created hundreds of years ago, well, more than 100 years ago, depending on where you are. Um, they were created to answer one question, and that is, how's the stock market doing today? That's the one question that all of these indices were created to answer so that we could come up with one way to say, yeah, you know, it's doing good. 
or no, no, not so good. You know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty bad situation right now. And what these indexes are is that they are an amalgamation. So we take all of the businesses in a given category and we lump them together. And we provide a number that gives us the average performance of all of those companies. So some of the popular indices are the S&P 500, which is the measurement of the biggest 500 companies in the U.S. And in that 500 you know, company list, there are going to be great companies that are absolutely killing it. And there are going to be some clunkers, a lot of companies that are not doing very well. And they are, you know, either terrible or they're dying and they're becoming worse over time. The benchmark provides us with an average of how all of them are doing. So let's say that you as an investor or you've hired a professional investor to uh, find you good businesses in the States to buy and own you have something to actually compare the performance of your individual portfolio against. And that is comparing it against the average performance of all 500 companies. If you're doing better than that benchmark, then yeah, you can say, okay, it's not just that my portfolio went up or it went down, it's that it went up more than the index went. So I'm beating the average performance of all 500 companies. Or... If your portfolio is going up, but it's not going up as much as the benchmark, it's like Ahmed's example. You're going 60 in a 100 zone. Sure, you're going somewhere, but you're not going nearly as fast as you can or should be. So it's not really something to celebrate. So if your portfolio is going up, but it's not going up as much as the benchmark, as the index, that's really not something to celebrate. And that works on the other side too. That if your portfolio is going down, is that necessarily terrible? Do you have a bad portfolio? Did you pick bad companies that don't have good earnings, that don't have good management, that were mispriced in the wrong direction, that they were actually too expensive and not too cheap? You thought you bought them when they were low, but you actually bought them when they were high? Well, in order for make, to make one of the ways that you can make that assessment is it's not just that your portfolio and your investments are going down, but are they falling faster than the benchmark? And if so, yeah, maybe we maybe there's a concern. Maybe there's a reason for it. Don't know. But or on the other side, if you are falling, but the benchmark is falling further, then most would argue that that's actually a pretty good portfolio if you're doing better than the average and not falling as much as it uh, as it does. So so this is essentially the litmus test, right? I think we're not oh, saying yeah. we're not saying that your performance relative to the index should necessarily affect your decision one way or the other, but it's information. It's it's a gauge. It's a it's a yardstick by which you should be measuring your performance and and then basing your decisions on. And I think that uh, as I just completely lost my train of thought, there was an idea I had a point to make. What was it? That it's a better yardstick than measuring it against zero? Yeah, litmus test. No, that was it. So litmus okay. test. So, you know, take housing, for example. And we mentioned housing at the beginning, right? Yeah, you can make 2%, 3%, 4% in a really good market on your house. And that sounds like a good idea compared to zero. But if the markets or the index, the benchmark, are making 6%, 7%, then it's a terrible investment. Yeah. Because you're, you're doing like half the market, right? And... To be honest, this is the one question that will make a lot of financial advisors very uncomfortable. A lot of portfolio managers do not like it when you ask them how their performance compares to 
the benchmark. Because what you're saying is, can you do better than average? And, and can I say that, you know, this is something that I kind of enjoy doing when I you know, interview portfolio managers and talk to portfolio managers who, you know, I could sub hire and subcontract to do portfolio management and stock picking. I do have to ask this question. And some of them are happy to answer it because they have their value add and they know what they're talking about. And quite a few are what we call in the industry closet indexers, where they actually don't really add that much value at all. They're not really thinking outside the box at all. They're really just buying what's in the benchmark and hoping you don't notice. Well, and I would say there's probably a couple of answers you should be concerned about to that question, but you should ask it regardless, right? So when you're yeah. when you're talking to somebody, when you're evaluating an investment, one of the first questions you should ask is, how does this perform relative to the index? And if if the you know if the person you're talking to has a good answer, they probably already would have told you how it, how it performs, and they would have you know kind of data and graphs and charts to to illustrate that. Um, but we see it all the time, right? Guys say, oh, our 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 fund did you know. Four percent, five percent for ten years in a row. Okay, well, what did the market do? Right. Uh, you know that that's really the more important question. But you know, I think if people say in answer to that, if they say, well, um, if they get really caught off guard and they kind of you know get lost for words, then that's your answer. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, if they say, oh, well, we consistently outperform the market, that's also cause for concern. And I think we're going to get into that in the next episode. Yeah, we're going to have a good debate uh, next time. But so, and, and the the other. One of the major things is making sure that your investment portfolio is being compared to the correct benchmark. So if you're buying investments in the U.S. and you're, all the companies that you're buying are U.S. domiciled, they all exist inside the U.S., they're all incorporated inside the U.S., they all trade on U.S. exchanges, then the S&P 500 is probably the best benchmark. But if you're in Europe and you're buying European companies, then you don't want to be comparing those to the U.S. benchmark because that's not an accurate comparison. There's different ones for different regions. There's, uh, you know, for everywhere that you are, any country that where you live around the world, there is an appropriate benchmark for the investments that you own. So let's say you are a resident of Japan. Um, Ahmed, did you know that um, Japan is in our top five listener uh, locations? Well, is that saying much? So like, what, what are the top four? Uh, expected uh, U.S., Canada, U.K., Japan, Australia. Do you know you made a joke about that in episode one? Do you remember that? I think actually, you know what? I did. I remember that now. <laughs> you said something about you were talking about. Oh, I used to work at Toyota, and oh you kind of God. presented yourself as some kind of a like a, an expert on Japanese culture because you oh, used to no, work summers at Toyota. Nuts. And you were like, well, in Toyota, you know, in Japanese culture, we have this. We have this concept of um, well, kaizen, right? Kaizen, kaizen. And we 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 argued about how to pronounce that. And then, and then oh I said, God. "Well, you just you just offended all of our Japanese listeners." And you were like, "Oh, that would be amazing if we had Japanese listeners." So, I have a feeling you probably just emailed some people in Japan and told them to <laughs> tune in just so that your your dream would come true. Is that, is that what yeah. you did? Yeah, like I know anybody who lives in Japan, that would be amazing. But yeah, I was surprised by that. But in any case, my point is, let's say you're in Japan, you're Japanese, you're you're there, you're an investor. You may not just be investing in Japanese companies. If you are, whatever Japanese companies you're investing in should be compared against the Japanese index. If you're investing also in companies in America, then those subset of companies, that portfolio of American companies, should be benchmarked against uh, the American index, you know, S&P 500 being the, one of the most popular. There's also, a, there's also a Sharia compliant index as well, right? 
Yeah, so there are Shia-compliant um, versions of the three major indexes that I, at least I'm aware of, actually four indexes. Um, there is the Shia-compliant version of the S&P 500, the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, which is not developed nations, but emerging into developed nations. Um, there is a Shia-compliant version of the MSCI World, which is the Morgan Stanley Capital International World Index, which takes... Um, all the biggest developed nations and all of the companies domiciled in all the biggest developed nations. And then, you know, the average of all that company, all of those companies, and then filtered for Shia compliance. There's another one. Oh yeah, Titans, Titans 100. It's uh, another index, which is the top 100 companies in the world. Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna address that as well in an upcoming interview. We're gonna bring a guest on to kind of help explain to everybody how this whole concept of Sharia compliance in the financial markets works. Right. And and not so much to give an opinion on what is Sharia compliant and what isn't, but the reality is that all these indexes and and the companies that manage them have criteria by which they're defining what is and what is not Sharia compliant. So I think it it would be a good learning opportunity for everybody to understand what those criteria are so that you can make decisions for yourself. Finally, I'm sure there's somebody out there thinking Geez, how long did it take for us to talk about that topic? And they're probably not listening <laughs> to this, to this <laughs> <Anymore>. episode. <laughs> they, they give up after like the second episode, probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, so have we covered benchmarking? Is there anything else to say? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the next episode is going to get spicy. Yeah. So the next episode, and we kind of hinted to it, is, is you know, when somebody says that, oh, yeah, we, we outperform the market consistently, I'm not going to say it's not true because it very well could be true and there and there are examples of that, but it should make you a little bit suspicious because there is a fierce, fierce debate that is being waged by people that are a lot smarter than me and Saeed uh, on whether uh, investors can consistently beat the market or not, mm-hmm. whether it's even possible mathematically. And Ahmed and I are going to have that debate and who what, who do you think should take the side of active versus index. Is that what we're doing? Are we going to pick a side? Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I got to do my homework then, though. I usually <laughs> just kind of show up. <laughs> ask questions. <laughs> I got to. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, anybody who's listening to this episode in advance uh, before we've released it, because I know not everybody listens to it as soon as we uh, release them, but it seems like quite a sizable number of people do, email, email us, team at riskwise.com. We're going to have a debate, Ahmed and I, versus active stock picking as an investment strategy versus passive owning just the index and, you know, receiving the average performance of companies. Yeah, I think that (laughs) we know what active and passive means. But if we're going to pose the question, we have to define it a little bit more. Active management means actively buying and selling stocks in an attempt to do better than the index or the benchmark. Because we now know what a benchmark is, we realize how important it is, and now we gotta we gotta be at 100 kilometers an hour or better. And passive investment means acknowledging that the market is efficient and there's no way to beat it, and the most effective way to earn returns in the long term is to just ride the wave and drive the speed limit. Set cruise control for 100 and just sit back. So we're going to have that debate and we're going to duke it out and just make sure you give me the winning side. That's all I ask. (laughs) So let us know. Who do you think should take what side of that debate? All right. Sounds good. Looking forward to it, Saeed. I'll have my boxing gloves ready. (laughs) Bring it on. Okay. Take care. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.